All right, Malachi 2, 10 through 16. Have we not all one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith, a detestable thing, has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to the offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with the garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. This is the word of the Lord. You made it. Congratulations. Um, Scott Carpenter said, you know, we're finishing the, the, the minor prophets today, and it's good that we ha- might have some thunder and some rain. It's a very fitting conclusion to these last 12 books of the Bible where usually Israel's in trouble, and they're getting in trouble, and God is calling them out through the minor prophets. This is no, um, no exception. But, um, you know, this series, we, we're wrapping it up today. It's our, fi- our final week on the minor prophets. And I said the first week that the minor prophets are all about covenant. Terry and Bob Pollock, hello. Can we give them a round of applause? I mean, come on. Terry asked me to do this. I said, I'll think about it. Fine, we'll do it. Round of applause. Um, the minor, whatever you think about prophets, the, the prophets were first and foremost, what I've been calling them as guardians of the covenant. That, that's what they were there. They're there to be guardians of the covenant. God had entered into a covenant with Israel. And he had this covenant love for his bride, Israel, this loyal, faithful, committed love. And he called the people to that same kind of uh, commitment and faithfulness to him. And, and Israel constantly was forgetting the covenant, and they were unfaithful, and they were wandering from the covenant. And so God sent the prophets to be guardians of the covenant, to call the people back. And um, it's appropriate that we end with Malachi. Obviously, that's the last one. But it also, Malachi really goes after this theme of covenant again, of of keeping faith in the covenant. And I don't know if you noticed this, but in five separate times uh, in Kelsey's translation, it said, don't break uh, break faith. Uh, Or mine says, uh, be unfaithful. Verse 10, um, being unfaithful to, to one another. They're being unfaithful to one another. Verse 11, Judah has been unfaithful. Verse 14, it is because you have been unfaithful to your wife. Uh, verse 15, so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. So get the point? They are breaking faith. They are not keeping covenant. That's the theme. Uh, and so Malachi is calling them back to faithfulness. To the covenant. And in this passage, there's a very specific relationship that he is thinking about. What is it? 
Yes, it's the marriage relationship, the covenant of marriage specifically. So the situation here is about 450 BC. They're back in the land, but what's happening is the Jewish men, many of the Jewish men are divorcing their Jewish wives and they are marrying uh, foreign wives, wives of the other nations around them. This is something that God said, don't do that. And there's a couple reasons. One was he had no problem with like inter- racial marriage in the time was actually the problem was inter-religious marriage. He said, you marry these people, they worship foreign gods. You yoke yourself to someone who fundamentally at their core worships another god. This is going to drag you and your children away from the one true God, so don't do that. And of course, the other issues, and in doing that, you are breaking faith with your marriage partner. This is a serious problem. And so Malachi is calling this out. Even the priests uh, we find out and we're doing this. Some of the priests were marrying these women and divorcing their wives. This is a really serious problem at the time. And so Malachi, uh, God sends Malachi to call the people back, especially to covenant, but especially to marriage covenant. Don't do this. Keep faith with one another. So um, today we end this series. I'm going to talk about marriage. I want to talk about the marriage covenant. And before I jump in, I just want to pause and have you all do a quick gut check, Okay. And when you hear, oh, Dave's going to talk on marriage today, like what's the emotion that just walked into the room for you? I actually want you to get in touch with that, okay? Like what is it, um, oh, yes, I'm, I'm, it's about time we talk about marriage. Um, is it anxiety? Uh, is, it, is it sadness? Um, are you annoyed that this is what we're going to talk about? Um, or is it like whatever, like, you know, take it or leave it. Like, actually, I think it's worth getting in touch with what is this trigger in me? We're going to talk about marriage today. And uh, I'm very aware of the very, very situations that we find ourselves in. Scott was talking about various, you know, people around us. We have people who have lost their spouses in this room um, to death. Uh, We have people who have lost their spouses to divorce. Um, I imagine we have some happily married couples in here and some unhappily married couples in here. And we probably have some happily single people and some unhappily singled people in this room, right? We find ourselves in all the different circumstances of that. And, um, and so I wanna encourage you, just wherever you find yourself, um, Malachi puts before us a vision of marriage and a vision of covenant in general. And so wherever you find yourself in that kind of slew of things, uh, I wanna just hold before you the vision that Malachi gives us. And I wanna, before I uh, jump into this again, I I was reading an interview from a celebrity who is recently divorced. Uh, And you would, I think everyone in this room probably know who this person is, I won't mention her name, but uh, recently divorced, they had a a six-year-old kid. And I was just listening to her describe her marriage and her divorce and some of the underlying assumptions that she was bringing. So let me just read you some of these quotes. She said, my, again, six-year-old son, my son has had a lot of questions, really good questions that I just don't have an answer for, she said, adding the example, why can't you still live together? Trying to explain to a six-year-old, I do love your dad, but I'm not in love with him. Uh, it makes absolutely no sense to a six-year-old, and doesn't make sense to this 47-year-old either, um, but I understand what she's saying. And she went on to say this, nothing, nothing bad happened in our marriage, but it just wasn't right. I didn't want to end up like a lot of other people I knew. I wasn't miserable, miserable, but I would have been miserable had I not put myself first. This is what she says. Um, 
I want to explain to my son when he's old enough who I am and why I voluntarily chose to dismantle his life in the pursuit of my own happiness. She continued, this is, this is direct quote. Uh, it made him really unhappy sometimes, and that's a real wound for me that I don't know if I'll ever be able to heal. And I thought, gosh, she's saying these things out loud. Uh, and and um, without irony or apology, and I actually, I'm not meaning to disparage her. There's a lot in the inter interview that's, that's honest and raw and vulnerable and super relatable. Um, so that's not my point is to make fun of her. But what I realized is there is an underlying uh, worldview foundation that is shaping her thinking on these things. And what that worldview is, it's one that, that one author calls um, expressive individualism. This is, this is sort of the, the underlying worldview of popular culture today. It's, it's a worldview of expressive individualism, meaning we are defined by our own individual pursuits of happiness. That is, that is at the heart of what a human being is supposed to be going after. Uh, we are fundamentally composed of inner desires and hopes uh, and drives, and true fulfillment in life comes from having the freedom to pursue those inner desires and drives. That is the underlying assumption, I think, of most movies and stories and advertisements that we see today. Expressive individualism. And, and, and the Bible has a fundamentally different worldview, a different foundation. And that worldview foundation is, in a word, covenant. That's what the scripture says. The human beings aren't fundamentally de uh, defined by their inner desires and hopes. They are actually fundamentally defined by their relationships. That is what defines us most. First and foremost, our relationship with God and the relationship and covenant that he gives to us through Jesus Christ. And then our relationships to one another in God's family. This is fundamental to what a human being is. And, and true fulfillment isn't found from being freed up from those, <laughs> but just the opposite. It's, it's found by being known and loved within those relationships. That's where fulfillment is found. And all the commitments and responsibilities and joys that come within that rooted, grounded set of relationships. Two very different starting points for life. And so I just want to remind us what most of you in this room know, that we are to be people of, of covenant. And so I want to look at what does it look like to live as covenant people in a world of expressive individualism. And uh, Malachi gives us a beautiful picture of marriage. And, um, you know, the context here is Malachi's angry, right? I mean, he's, he's kind of, it doesn't feel like a beautiful picture of marriage. He found he's, he's scolding the people. But as he kind of confronts them, he has these phrases that I was thinking about this week. And like, he's actually almost in an offhand way reminding us of the beauty of the marriage covenant. And so I want to just hold before you today um, the beauty of that covenant. And what he does is he actually, some phrases he uses kind of gets us out of the weeds of the day-to-day. -day. And most of us are in the weeds right now. Like, whether in your marriage or other relationships, right? You're just in the day-to-day -day weeds of you're taking care of your kids or your parents or the finances or the social calendar. And you're just, you're doing the day-in, day-out of, of trying to live together and the bickering that comes from that and the fun and the joy and all the stuff, right? That's, you're in the weeds, and so I want to like take 15 minutes to try to get us out of the weeds. This is what Malachi does and help us to kind of see the forest for the trees 
of our covenant relationships, okay? So I want to encourage you, if you're married, hold your spouse in your mind for the next 15 minutes as you hear these descriptions. Um, if th some of this can happen, that's fine. This can even happen if that's helpful, maybe a handhold. Um, but hold one another uh, in your minds. And let me just remind you of, of what this is that you're part of. And, and what Malachi does is he gives, I, I notice three descriptions of our spouse and then two descriptions of God's connection to our marriages that is to me very inspiring, all right? So let me just start, um, I think, I, yeah. He gives us a picture of God's vision for marriage. Let me start, just a description, hear this description of your spouse, okay? Nothing too radical, but I think pretty actually profound. Um, look at verse 14. You ask why, it is because the Lord, uh, is the witness between you, and here's the first uh, description, you and the, the wife of your youth. And so I want you just to take in that phrase. This, I love this phrase, the wife of your youth, or if you're a wife, think of the husband of your youth. And the Bible regularly uses this phrase, the wife of your youth. And I love, Malachi's reminding these men at the time, don't forget who this woman is. She's the wife of your youth. And he's trying to take them back <laughs> to that original, those original years together. Do you remember when you guys came together? Do you remember the joy of that time? Do you remember the potential in that time? Do you remember the, the, the grace in God's favor that, that you experienced in that? Don't, don't forget in the, in the weeds, don't forget. <laughs> don't forget that time. And not just that, but, but remember, you have this shared history together. This is the wife of your youth. You have years together. You don't want to just throw those away. You cannot get that back with somebody else. You, you have a history, a sacred history, challenging, beautiful, ups and downs, all of that, but you have a history together. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but you know, my, my photo app regularly gives me these like 10 years ago this day, right? And it shows me like five photos from 10 years ago set to really inspiring music and I'm crying, you know, in my office, right? Um, in like 20 seconds. And this is what Malachi's doing in this phrase. He's giving us that photo reel. Don't forget, don't forget who this person is. This is the wife, the husband of your youth. Uh, next phrase, the very next sentence, I'm still in verse 14. You've been unfaithful to her. Then here's the next phrase, though she is your partner. Don't forget, <laughs> this is your partner. Maybe your translation says your companion. And he's reminding them, this is not your enemy. She is not your enemy or he is not your enemy. This is your partner, your companion, God's gift to help walk with you through this life. And of course, most of us know the Genesis 2 story um, where in Genesis 1, God creates everything beautiful and amazing. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then in chapter two, for the first time, he says, something about this situation is not good. It's actually not good for the man to be alone. In fact, it's not even good for the man to just be just me and him. Even that is not good. I want, I've made him for relationship, for community. And so he makes a woman because we are made for community. And so he makes a woman from his rib. And she is, in that case, he's described as his helper, his, his uh, we could say, partner, the one who is to come alongside 
and be the helper in life and in this beautiful garden. And so Malachi is just reminding these men, don't forget, your wife of you, she's your, she's your partner. She's not an enemy. She's your companion, your helper, the one called alongside to walk with you through this life. Don't take that for granted. And then the third one, right there again, though she is your partner, and maybe this is the most important, the wife of your marriage covenant, or wives, the husband of your marriage covenant. And he reminds them, remember this woman, this is not just someone you had a crush on when you were 25 or whatever. This is someone that you entered into covenant with. You guys are, are not in a, a contract. You are in a covenant that God has formed. And you made covenant vows, right? And we all know today what those vows look like for better or for worse, right? For richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And I've done a lot of uh, marriage ceremonies. And I don't think I've ever seen a couple who when they say for better or worse, none of them are thinking this might be for worse, <laughs> right? Everyone says for better or for worse, for rich or poor. Nobody is going, this will probably be for worse, actually. This is probably gonna make my life worse. I've never met, I mean, that can maybe happens every once in a while. And sometimes it is for worse. Sometimes it is for poor. Sometimes it is for sickness, right? Sometimes it is. In every marriage, at sometimes, it would be better to be single than to be married in moments, right? But no one is thinking that at the moment. And yet, that is, that's what the vow is. That's what covenant is about. It's about for better or for worse, or, or when it's better and when it's worse. Right? This, is, this is what covenant is. And uh, he's saying, you know, you, you, you made covenant vows to these women. You want to keep those vows. And I love, I remember hearing one person at a wedding once say, um, we think of we're supposed to keep vows, right, to our spouses. We said it's actually the opposite. The, the vows keep the person, <laughs> right? We make these vows, and the vows are bigger than us. The covenant is bigger than us. And thank God, because my own commitments ebb and flow. But covenant is much bigger than what I feel or think or even have the capacity to do. I, the, 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 the vow keeps me. The vow keeps the marriage, not, not vice versa. And so again, Malachi is just sort of reminding them, think about your partner. Think about these are the realities of who they are before God. And then, maybe even more importantly, he's, he gives two descriptions of, and remember what God's relationship to your marriage is, okay? So the first one, again, I'm in verse 14. You ask why, here's the description. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth, right? The Lord is and was a witness in your marriage. And again, back to the original marriage, Genesis 2. Genesis 2 is really, it's really interesting. We have two creation stories, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 2 is mainly about the creation of marriage, like when you step back, it's actually about this fundamental relationship. And God plays a remarkable role in that first marriage. Obviously, he creates the woman out of the rib of the man, but then he plays the role of the father of the bride in that first marriage. He presents the woman to the man, right? And the Holy Spirit says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the father says, my son and I do. We give, right? He's, he's witness to this. He, he is the father of the bride in that first marriage playing witness to that first marriage. And of course, not just that first creation story, but every marriage, God is witness to. And when I give 
marriage ceremonies, I, I, they, the, this, they give their vows, and then I ask each one, before God and all of us here, do you promise to stay true to these vows, right? Before God. God is witness to this. God is present. His presence is in this. And he's witness to that. And Malachi is reminding them of that. That God was and is witness. We invoke God as we enter into these covenants. And so remember that. God has a key role in your marriage. And then one other thing he says. uh, Look at verse 15. Your translations may vary wildly. Okay, this is some of the most complicated, ambivalent Hebrew or ambiguous Hebrew. So depending on what translation, we, we don't, I'll say, I definitely don't know what verse 15 actually means. <laughs> okay, I'll read what mine says. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. You might say something totally different, but I think what he's getting at is, has not God made you one? And I think he's drawing again on Genesis 2. How, right, God brings Eve to Adam and then the author says something remarkable. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, right? There's God, there's a, there's a union that God brings about in that first marriage. One plus one equals a new one. New, a new union. It's bad math, but it's good, good spirituality, right? And Jesus, when he's asked about marriage in Matthew 19, draws on that story. He said, God made a male and female, and he said they will be one flesh. And he says, therefore, what God has joined together... What God has joined together, but nobody separate. The point being, this is not a, just a contract between two people. God has done something. There is a spiritual reality that is infused in this new relationship. God bears witness to it, but God actually forms it. It is something that he has done. And I think that's what Malachi is getting at here. And one of the purposes of that was to create godly offspring, right? To go and and bear fruit and multiply and have children out of this union that then is the foundation for human society. They're rooted and grounded in, in God and covenant. This was God's creation design and purpose all along. You with me? So all that to say, Malachi is, is reminding them of these, these realities. And I think it's just such a beautiful picture. It's a big, it's a covenant. It's, a, it's, it's deep. It's bigger than us. And so in light of that, it's no wonder that Malachi has some strong things to say to these men who are going off and marrying these other women. Um, I'll show you just two of the things he says. Look at verse 16. Again, the Hebrew is really hard to understand. Yours might look different. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. That's my NIV. Okay? I think what he's saying is, again, there's a spiritual reality that, is, that God forms. And so when you break that, you're, you're tearing a spiritual reality that God wants to stay together. And, that, and so much pain and so much violence happens because of that. And, and you know, divorce hits close to home for all of us, whether we've been through it or our parents went through it or our kids or our friends. And he's reminding them, it's, it's a tear. It's a, it's a painful tear, and everybody knows that. Yes, it's, there's such a tear, and, and that tear impacts so many other lives, especially kids. It's so hard. It's painful. It's, 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 not, what we, it's not what anybody wants. And Malachi's saying, don't forget that. And then one other thing he says, look at verse 13. I thought this was interesting. Another thing you do, he's talking to these men, you flood the Lord's altars, altar with tears. 
You weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. So these guys are, they've done this, they've divorced, they've married these other wives, uh, and then they're still coming to the altar and they're, they're wanting God to meet their demands. They've got some, the crops aren't going well, business isn't going well, whatever, and they're praying and, and God's not answering their prayers. <laughs> and Malachi says, you think? <laughs> of course he's not. If, if this is what you've chosen to do to the, the wives of your youth, do you think, you think God is going to answer your prayers? And look at verse 10 where he starts. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? He's reminding them as a whole, not just husband and wife, hey, God is our one father. That means we are one family, right? We are, we are brothers and sisters. And in the marriage covenant, that means, hey, guess what, guys? Think about this. <laughs> Your wife, who is she? She's God's daughter. So think about how you talk to her. Think about the tone you use with her. Think about how you engage her because you are engaging God's girl. How does that shape, how does that filter how you interact with this woman? Uh, I would imagine we, some of the men in here, any of the men have some, some tough fathers-in-law? No. no, none, no. Like anybody, like you came over and he showed you his gun collection and then asked, you know, what, what's... What's your intentions with my daughter? I don't know if any of you had that. I did not have that kind of father-in-law, but I imagine some of you did. Um, Malachi's reminding us, hey, guess what? Your father-in-law is God, right? This is God's daughter. And you're God's son. And, and women, I'd say the same thing to you. Your father-in-law is God's son. Of course, he is not answering your prayers the way you want. This is part of the old covenant when you treat his daughters this way. Be mindful of how you treat God's children. He loves his children. It's interesting, I was thinking, Peter, in 1 Peter, he says a very similar thing. He says, husbands, be considerate in how you live with your wives so that your prayers may not be hindered. I think he's drawn right from Malachi. Fascinating. Okay. So all that to say, this, I think this, to me, this beautiful vision of covenant and these warnings to these, in this case, these guys back then. So what does he call them to do? What, what do we, and what do we do? What do we do with this? Um, well, he doesn't want us to miss it, so he repeats it. He says it twice. Look at verse 15. Look at the end of verse 15. In light of all this, so be on your guard and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Verse 16, so be on your guard and don't break faith or don't be unfaithful, right? That's the call. Don't break faith. Don't be unfaithful. Keep the covenant. Keep your commitment. But what's interesting to me is the thing he says before that, be on your guard. That's NIV. Literally what he says, and you guys will appreciate this because of last week. He says, guard your ruach. Remember that word? Guard your spirit. Guard your spirit. ESV says, guard yourselves in your spirit, NASB, so take heed to your spirit. And what I think he's saying, this is where I wanna kinda of end this, he's saying keeping the marriage covenant starts with what is happening in your spirit, in your, in your we could use mind or heart or inner being. So pay close attention. 
there. You cultivate certain thoughts and feelings about your spouse in your spirit or about other women or men in your spirit. So pay attention there. Watch closely. You don't just go off and have an affair out of nowhere. That happens because something has been cultivated in your spirit, right? Really critical, harsh, dismissive words don't tend to just fly out of people's mouths. Occasionally, you know, you can be reactive, but that doesn't happen unless you've cultivated something in your spirit. One of my favorite verses in scripture says this is Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, that same word guard, guard your heart, right? Similar to spirit, that inner place. Why? Because everything you do flows from it. The image is your heart is like a, is like a, a spring, the fount of a river, and everything that you do in life, your words, your actions flow out of that inner place. So you really want to pay attention to what's going on in that inner place. And I want to ask, I want to end by asking, what would it look like to do that? We should be doing that all the time, but in the context of our marriage relationships. What would it look like to guard our spirits in our marriages, and I want to end with just one simple way to do that, and you might think this is so simple, you're a lot smarter than I am, but this was profound to me. Um, but one way to do this, how do, I, how do I guard myself and my spirit with my covenant partner? And there was a verse that, another verse that I love um, from Philippians that came to mind today. This is uh, Philippians 4.8. Most of you know it. Uh, Philippians 4, if you didn't know this, is the holy grail of mental health, Okay. I'm serious. Like, if you are struggling with anxiety, uh, depression, anger, resentment, bitterness, Philippians 4 is, is where you should go. Um, and he has a lot to say. And one of the things that he says, and this is Paul writing to the Philippians, says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Okay, and he's trying to give them a vision for life in, in the shalom of God, the peace of God. And he says, one of the things we do is we, we fix our thoughts, our spirits on good things constantly. We don't think about negative things, things that depress us, things that make us anger. Of course, we acknowledge those things, but we, we spend our time focusing on these things. And there's a lot of these things in this world, spiritual things, just ordinary things. Invest your heart and mind in these kinds of things. This is what Jesus did. This is what Paul did. This will go well for you if you do that. And what hit me this week was thinking about what if we did that with our spouses? What if we followed Paul's admonition here and applied that specifically to our spouses? One way I can guard my spirit in my marriage is to choose to attend to all of the good and noble and worthy things about my spouse. And I want to acknowledge in every marriage, there are things about your spouse that don't fit these categories, <laughs> right? They're a bad listener. They withdraw in conflict. Um, they spend way too much money. Um, they're awkward in groups right? Uh, they snore. Uh, they don't clean very well. Um, what I'm suggesting is profoundly simple. Don't spend any time thinking about those things. Don't spend your time thinking about those parts of your spouse. Find things about them that are worthy of praise. They're funny. They're kind. 
Uh, they love Jesus. Um, they're really good with kids. They're hospitable. They're physically beautiful and attractive to you. Spend your time thinking about those things with your spouse. Okay? So simple. <laughs> and really, I think, quite profound. You have a room. I want you to imagine this. You have a room in your mind that represents your ongoing thoughts and attitudes towards your spouse. Okay? I want you to picture a living room of some kind. It represents your ongoing thoughts and attitudes and postures and, and, you know, about your spouse. There's furniture in there, things about them that you think about, that you dwell on. There's paintings, there's wall, does anybody have wallpaper anymore? I don't know, whatever. There's carpet, there's floors, okay? It represents your ongoing reflections and thoughts that you dwell on about your spouse. My question for you is this, do you like being in that room? Do you enjoy it? Is it a fun place for you to be? If your spouse walked into that room, would they enjoy that room? or not? Is it filled with joy? Is it filled with gratitude? Is it filled with bitterness and resentment and disappointment? And here's the crazy thing that I thought about this week. You actually can change the furniture in that room. You cannot change your spouse. Or let me make that personal. I cannot change my spouse. I'm 15 years in. I have not changed my spouse very much at all. And she has not changed me very much at all. We, there's some little things that have changed. But for the most part, we're still the same people we were. Or, or any changes is not doing, owed, owing to me. <laughs> and her, vice versa. You can't change your spouse. But you can actually change that room. You have the power with the spirit to change what that room looks like. You can move furniture. Put, take furniture out of that room and put new furniture into that room. That is actually something that you can do. Maybe she's not very funny. Her sense of humor is not what you'd hope. But she's a great listener. Awesome. Focus on the fact that she's a great listener. That's, that's your furniture. That's, the one you, that's your go-to. She's a good listener, right? Uh, maybe, he, maybe he's not the, um, quite the spiritual leader you'd hoped. Uh, but he's a hard worker. Great. Focus on the fact that he's a hard worker. Maybe he's got bad calves and he's got a great upper back. Focus on the upper back. <laughs> Focus on the upper back. I'm actually like, this is quite profound to me. Like we, you get that room you have control over. And um, and that room spills out into your marriage every single day. You live from that room and you act towards your spouse from that room. It starts in your spirit. So Paul, so Malachi says, guard yourselves in your spirits. Cultivate appreciation and gratitude for the things in your spouse that match up with this. Maybe you're like, after 35 years, I, honestly, it's so broken, I can't even think, I can't even, can't even come up with anything anymore. Yes, you can. <laughs> Find the one thing, right? He's a good golfer. Great. We're going to found this room on golf. That's, that's our couch. We're going to take the golf couch. And we're going to lay on that couch for a long time until we can find another piece of furniture to bring into that room, right? This is what we're called to do. Let's apply that to our marriages. And then I'll just, let me just end um, by wrapping up this series on covenant. Um, I just want to just say, and in the context of marriage, but any relationship, uh, friendship, roommates, work, whatever, what does it look like for us to make our covenant with the Lord our number one priority? Um, 
You know, Paul says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Pursue your, the bridegroom. He is the bridegroom of your heart. And what I want to say is, um, <laughs> yeah, put your covenant with Jesus ahead of your covenant with your spouse. Um, go to Jesus, relieve your spouse of having to carry the burden of your happiness and fulfillment and comfort in life. Like, don't go to your spouse for what only God can provide. God provides us with deep joy, lasting contentment. Our spouses cannot do that. Some marriages are deeply uh, enjoyable, but, but that, is a, that is a huge weight to put on a human being. Hey, you, my contentment, my joy, my satisfaction in life is mainly up to you. No human being can bear that weight. Take that big boulder off of your spouse and put it on God. Like, God, you can carry this. You're the only being in the universe that can carry this. And that's what I would say to people who, are, who want to be, young people especially, who want to be married. I'd say, dude, relieve your future spouse of the burden of your own happiness. Like, you think she's going to completely? No, she's not. She's not going to complete you. <laughs> she's, it'll probably be better. Might be better. Might be worse. You don't know. Um, but relieve them. Relieve them of that burden. That, that, is, that doesn't belong on their shoulders. I know I'm being kind of tongue-in-cheek, but um, truly, God and God alone is what our souls long for. He alone satisfies the deepest desires of the human heart. No human being can possibly do that. And so we can relieve our spouse of a burden they should never have to carry by pursuing him. And, and ironically, when we actually start focusing on God, the marriage tends, we actually end up being better marriage partners in the process. Um, but the covenant with God is eternal. Marriage is actually momentary. Marriage is momentary. Jesus says, at death, the covenant of marriage dissolves. And I, I think my wife's relationship with me will be better in eternity, not worse. <laughs> It'll be better, but the covenant of marriage dissolves because the real thing is finally here in its fullness. And, and this just foreshadow dissolves. And so I always joke with Carrie, I'm like, just remember, honey, this isn't forever. Like, <laughs> we don't, she doesn't seem to like this. They're like, hey, we don't have to get, it's not, it's not, for, it's just like the next 40, 50 years. Like, we just got to make it through 40, 50 years. It's not a forever thing. That hasn't been very inspiring to her, but, but it's actually theologically true. And again, I, it is. Um, and I think our marriage relationships will be better in eternity, not worse. They will be better, undoubtedly. But the covenant dissolves because the true has finally come, that it's more substantive and lasting, what we are most deeply made for. And so whether you are widowed or divorced or single or, or married or whatever, I want to just point us to that covenant with Jesus and say, set in your hearts, in your spirit, set apart Christ as Lord and go after him and relieve your spouse and your friends and your career the burden of having to carry your deepest fulfillments in life. And you'll become a better lover of all of those things.